You are listening to an ODI live event podcast. You can find out more about events and research by the Overseas Development Institute by visiting our website, odi.org. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's webinar. It's entitled Agency and Empowerment for Adolescent Girls Beyond COVID-19. And this event is um, hosted by ODI in partnership with UNICEF and GAGE. And this is a second event um, in a series on girls and women's voice and leadership for transformative change. My name is Nicola Jones. I'm a principal research fellow at ODI, and I'm also the director of the Gender and Adolescence Global Evidence a research consortium based here at ODI. So today's webinar is um, part of the side events for the 65th session of the Commission on the Status of Women. And the priority theme this year is uh, women's full and effective participation and decision-making in public life, as well as achieving gender equality and the empowerment of all women and girls as its priority theme. Um, so the discussion today is going to draw attention to the key ingredients of empowering girl intentional approaches. And we want to share perspectives from promising practices um, in low and middle income country contexts across a wide range of sectors from sexual and reproductive health through to STEM. And obviously it's a really uh, critical juncture to be reflecting on these questions in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. So one of the priorities that we need to be foregrounding is how can we really ensure that responses post-pandemic are designed so as to reshape support for adolescent girls programming and really anchoring them in girls' voices, leadership and ambitions. So the webinar, as I've said, will inform discussions um, for CSW 65, which is starting next week, but also with the intention to build up some discussion and momentum ahead of the Mexico and France Beijing plus 25 events that are coming up in March and June of this year. So I'd like to start by welcoming um, our really incredible panel uh, that we have joining us today. So I'll start with some introductions. So firstly, we're delighted to have Dr. Maria del Carmen Calle, who's the Executive Secretary of the Pan-Andean Health Organization. Maria has extensive experience in governmental health at both national and international levels, and is a champion of adolescent girls' sexual and reproductive health rights. We also um, are very excited to have with us uh, Celine Ozunaldim. Uh, she's the founder of Girls Who Code Turkey, and a youth representative for the He For She movement in Turkey, and also the founder of the Girls Who First movement. So welcome to you, Selim. Um, then we also have with us um, uh, Keenan Mardi, who's a program manager with UNICEF Jordan. Thank you so much for joining us, Keenan. Keenan's been working with UNICEF to support coordination of critical life-saving services and supplies for refugees in different refugee, uh, emergency settings. And currently he manages the Makani program, which provides an integrated packages of services for adolescents and children, including learning support services, skills building, and community-based child protection. I'm also delighted um, to be co-hosting this event today with Prena Banati. Um, she's a senior regional advisor for gender and adolescent girls in UNICEF's West and Central African office. 
and Prena has over 20 years of international development experience um, within the UN um, and other international agencies and focuses on the intersection of gender, um, adolescence and social inclusion. So welcome Prena. Um, and then last but certainly not least, we're delighted to have with us uh, Alette Movondo. So Alette is um, a regional policy advisor with UN Women, also in Western Central Africa, and has 20 years of international development experience within the UN with a strong focus on um, gender-based violence prevention and response. So thank you also very much for, for joining us. And then I'd like to welcome everyone who's joined online today. We had um, a great sign up from over 38 countries. So we're delighted to be having this conversation with you all. Um, I'd like to let you know that we will be taking questions from the audience a bit later on in the session. So please do post your questions in the chat box. Um, and then also feel free to join the discussion on Twitter um, using um, at ODI dev or at gauge underscore program. Um, we'd love to have the conversation going on in the, in the digital space as well. Um, and the Twitter handles of, of the speakers are, are included. Um, just one more note is that uh, we will have um, Spanish English interpretation. So please just um, click on the interpretation button for the language that you're most comfortable in. So, uh, without further ado, uh, it's my great pleasure now to turn to Prena, who's going to start with some opening remarks about the key ingredients of girl intentional programming. Over to you, thanks, Prena. Thank you, Nicola, and, and I'm delighted to be here and welcome to all the participants and attendees. Um, UNICEF is really pleased to co-sponsor this event with our partners ODI Gage, and we're delighted to work with them to advance the evidence base to identify and scale and support uh, the work that um, we all do collectively for girls to help them to realize their aspirations, their dreams and hopes, despite sometimes difficult realities. The majority of girls in low and middle income countries live with multiple child rights deprivations, which contribute to cumulative disadvantage as they transition through adolescence. Many deprivations experienced by girls have similar root causes, for example, patriarchal norms, controls over sexuality and poverty and common structural features such as regressive policies. These may have manifested over many years and decades and sometimes longer leading to intergenerational cycles of disadvantage. UNICEF is soon launching its new gender action plan which identifies a central focus on adolescent girls. We hear a lot about accelerator strategies but we feel that adolescent girls and young women are an acceleration population but with, with the potential to transform not only their own lives but those of their communities, societies and nations. To move beyond the victimhood narrative, girls need to be reconceptualized, not as weak or in need of protection, but instead we are proposing to direct attention to their self-efficacy, their resilience and their skills. I take this moment to share with you uh, a diagram um, um, which um, proposes the components for a um, girl intentional approach. Apologies, I'll just make it uh, large. Um, and here we, we see that this, this diagram is really drawn from the evidence and validated by experience in, in, in a number of countries. We see the four key components here around adolescent assets, including knowledge, skills, and competencies, adolescent agency, including self-efficacy, goal-setting, and empowerment, 
an enabling environment, including community safety and responsive services, and finally, networks and opportunities for engagement, participation, contribution, and mentorship. These approaches have also experienced challenges, and as defined in the bar below, a few of them are at scale. Many are not um, national systems-based responses, which often makes them, makes them unsustainable ventures. Um, access to services are not always secured for girls, and frequently they are not gender responsive or adolescent friendly. We also struggle with how to put the components together in a meaningful way and which to prioritize when resources are limited. Finally, to scale and support girls, we rely on champions and political will. Despite this, girls can be very much a central part of, of how, and bringing girls' voices to, the, to, to become a central part of how we make girl intentional approaches work is an important uh, direction going forward. I'm looking forward to learning and hearing from our panelists on their experiences. So thanks, Nicola, over to you. Great, thank you very much for that introduction, Prana. So now I would like to turn over to the panel to get your reflections. And so I'd like to begin with a question for you, Maria. Um, and if you could reflect on what are the unique challenges in the Andean context in terms of developing programs that support girls' rights and agency in the health field um, and including with regard to sexual reproductive health. Eh, ante todo, muchas gracias por la invitación, por la posibilidad de estar conversando con ustedes. Y bueno, yo creo que el desafío más grande es que nosotros todos tenemos que dar un ambiente, un entorno, un environment que sea seguro, que sea predecible y que sea igualitario. Eso lo dicen claramente en el Handbook de Oxford que editó Prerna y es justo lo que pide una adolescente de mi país, una adolescente peruana. Ella no quiere, no quiere más o menos oportunidades, lo que quiere es iguales oportunidades. Y yo creo que eso es lo más importante. Por un lado, que nuestros niños y adolescentes tengan las capacidades, los conocimientos, las competencias, pero el otro lado somos nosotros, que les demos las oportunidades. Y yo creo que este tema... Eh, Lo más, más importante es tener un enfoque de curso de vida porque para que participen en igualdad de condiciones tienen que saber participar, poder participar y querer participar. Y para poder participar tienen que tener conocimientos, competencias, habilidades, pero tienen que tener un grupo de adultos desde sus familias, sus escuelas, sus, eh, digamos, gobiernos locales, nacionales, desde todo el mundo, agencias de cooperación, agencias que favorezcan que la mujer desde el comienzo tenga las mismas oportunidades y el mismo acceso a todo. Y principalmente el mismo acceso al poder. Porque no solamente que es que tenga las mismas las mismas profesiones, sino también que pueda dirigir y pueda ser parte de todos los del grupo decisor, ¿no? Que es el que pone las líneas importantes en cada país. Yo creo que ese es el reto más importante y reconocer que hay diferentes adolescencias, hay adolescencias que tienen más vulnerabilidades que otras. Por ejemplo, pobreza extrema migrantes, 
este, poblaciones indígenas, poblaciones discapacitadas, LGTB, eh, poblaciones que en este momento, poblaciones que están quedando eh, desválidas por la pandemia. Mi país, Perú, es uno de los que más muertas tiene de esta pandemia y un montón de adolescentes y niños están quedando sin protección. Entonces, los, los, eh, digamos, los abordajes tienen que ser personalizados, no, no todos son iguales. No, digamos, lo peor que podemos hacer es tratar igual a los diferentes. No, cada uno necesita algo diferente, pero tenemos que comenzar desde que son pequeños. Desde el momento que le permitimos a la, a la niña a que dé sus ideas, a que hable, a que no importa lo que diga, va a ser respetado. Porque yo creo que en el fondo este es un tema de derechos humanos. El día que nosotros comprendamos que el del costado tiene los mismos derechos que nosotros, el mundo será mejor. Ahí quedó. Thank you so much, Maria. Um, so are you able to give us perhaps some examples as to what um, is happening in the Andes, given the, the wider challenges that you've talked about and ensuring equal opportunities and rights, um, and particularly with regard to ensuring adolescent girls access to sexual and reproductive health services and support? La normativa, la normativa quiere decir todas las normas, leyes, documentos que hay en nuestros países, favorecen el, la, la, ¿cómo se llama? la incorporación de las eh, adolescentes a nuestros servicios de salud. Pero una cosa es la normativa y otra cosa es la realidad. Se sabe muy bien que la cultura tiene que ver con el ingreso o no a, la, a, a los servicios de salud. Y un gran problema que hay en, en este, la región andina es el embarazo en adolescentes. Y sabemos muy bien que para disminuir el embarazo en adolescentes tenemos que tener este, educación sexual, ¿no? educación en sexualidad, que no todos los países lo tienen plenamente, Segundo, el tema de servicios de salud que respondan no solo a las necesidades de los adolescentes, sino prioritariamente a sus expectativas y deseos. Y tercero, lo que dije al comienzo, oportunidades. Porque si yo no tengo oportunidades para ser parte de un seguro de salud, muy difícil que yo llegue a, es, a tener este método de planificación familiar para evitar un embarazo no deseado. ¿no? Entonces, hay muy, en nuestros países, esos países que están, eh, digamos, uno de nuestros indicadores principales en salud sexual y reproductiva en nuestros países es embarazo en adolescente. Porque nosotros tenemos los dos grupos de las adolescentes tempranas de 10 a 14 años que está relacionada con violencia y los adolescentes tardíos de 15 a 19, ¿no? Que eso es prácticamente parte de las de las costumbres de, de nuestro país que se, se compromete jóvenes. Pero, ¿cuál es el, el, el tema? El tema es que haya un acercamiento entre normas, servicios y lo que los chicos quieren y las chicas quieren. Digamos, respetar a la mujer en el sentido que no solo tiene una vida 
reproductiva, si no tiene una vida productiva y que puede ser ingeniera, que puede ser matemática, que puede, ¿no? Digamos, hay, hay, hay muchas cosas que limitan, pero está cambiando, eso está cambiando mucho y hay diferente desarrollo en los países. Pero hay países exitosos en el tema de, por ejemplo, embarazo en adolescentes. Tenemos a Chile, tenemos a Uruguay, ¿no? Que tienen este, sus sistemas eh, que se acercan más a, la, a los adolescentes. Ahora, eh, tiene que haber toda, digamos, tiene que haber un enfoque holístico, ¿no? No solo es, eh, el adolescente tiene que estar preparada, la familia tiene que apoyarlo, la escuela tiene que estar de acuerdo, la política tiene que favorecerlo, porque al final lo que uno quiere es que cada uno pueda llegar al mayor nivel de sus potencialidades, ¿no? Y pueda tener, creo que lo más importante es que pueda tener una vida digna, ¿no? Que pueda, que pueda... Eh, ejercer libremente lo que, lo que quiere hacer, por supuesto respetando los derechos de los demás, ¿no? Sí hay experiencias este, exitosas, hay servicios de salud sexual y reproductiva en varios países, ¿no? Pero eh, en este momento ya sabemos que el tema de salud sexual y reproductiva no va solo, tiene que ir dentro de todo un enfoque, y un tema prioritario que ha aparecido, bueno, que ha aparecido en los últimos años, pero que ahora es mucho más evidente, es la salud mental, ¿no? La salud mental va de la mano con la salud sexual y reproductiva, va todo junto, es, es, es un paquete. Y vuelvo a repetir que cada adolescente es especial, ¿no? Tiene que tener, y cada niña y mujer, y cada niña y mujer adolescente, son especiales, no es lo mismo un adolescente de, eh, criada en una ciudad grande que criada en una etnia amazónica, por ejemplo, ¿no? Y, y en eso hemos, estamos trabajando muchísimo, porque eso creo que, es, creo que ese es el, el core del asunto. Great. So thank you. Some really fantastic points there about the need to have a, a systems wide approach, but also a, an integrated um, packages of services um, to realize adolescent girls rights, but also then the, the diversity of, of needs um, that they have. So taking some of those ideas, I'd now like to um, turn to you, Keenan. Um, and if you could reflect on some of the challenges um, that you face working in humanitarian contexts, um, but if you could highlight in particular some of the specific challenges that adolescent girls are facing in the Jordanian context compared to boys. Thank you, Nicola. It's great to be here with you all today. I actually would like to move a bit from the traditional and well-known problems facing adolescent girls and focus more on a newly emerged challenge related to the digital access. Although the digital divide is not a new subject, but it has never been more critical than today. With the emerge of COVID, the lack of access to internet and devices impose a serious challenge for adolescent girls. So the digital divide should be taken more into consideration in my opinion. While also the digital divide is facing vulnerable uh, adolescents regardless of their gender. It's, it's a holistic problem, but it is evident from the data we have, at least here in Jordan and the Middle East, that girls have less access to internet and devices than boys, 
For example, I would refer to the Gage study baseline, which uh, has uh, on Jordan data, which has indicated that around 43% girls are 43% less likely to have phones, and girls are also 17% uh, less likely to have internet access. So I think we need an urgent and serious effort to bridge the digital gap, where building on the idea of building back better, which the UN and other organizations are working on it now, I think we need to use the COVID challenge and turn it into an opportunity. So while uh, uh, we are responding now to the newly emerged challenges due to the COVID, we can design our programs in a gender responsive manner from the beginning to avoid being too late later on. So what we are doing in Jordan, for example, and what I reflect and recommend actually, uh, first, why we are responding to make sure that we are providing an equal access to adolescents, boys and girls to remote services through the provision of necessary tools and devices and internet. For example, here in Jordan, through our work through the mechanic program, we will start uh, distributing, actually we started, so in the coming also couple of weeks, we will continue to distribute around 15,000 tablets supported with the internet access, which we're, where we are making sure that those tablets do not favor boys over girls, and we are taking a serious consideration for that. Two, I think we really need to, in our programs, to focus on the issue related to the cyber bullying and cyber violence. And uh, that's by providing the needed uh, psychosocial support for the survival of cyber violence, for example. Also work uh, on age appropriate internet safety programs targeting both parents and adolescents. And this is what we actually, we will start here through the McCandy program next week with uh, some uh, implementing partners. Finally, and also most maybe importantly, I think it's very important from now to engage girls adolescents in a advanced, let's say certified courses focusing on the digital skills, which can help them on the long run to get into the labor market. As we know for decades, mobility was one of the factors which limited female youth for entering the workforce. But with the current situation, it is an opportunity to build the adolescents girls digital skills so, so they are better prepared to have a job opportunity in the near for future. Of course, if uh, there is a the budget allow, if there is capacity, those programs should be also linked somehow to the cash support, which we are doing here in Jordan, for example, to limit as well the early marriage and more the traditional kind of program uh, problems actually for uh, facing adolescence girls. So that's it from my side, uh, Nicola. Great, thanks very much, Keenan. So, I mean, I think you've touched on a, a really critical point about the digital divide. Um, I think I'll now hand the floor to Celine because um, Celine is at the, the forefront of trying to tackle that within the, the Turkish context. Um, so Celine, it would be great to get your reflections on what some of the challenges are facing adolescent girls and in getting involved in science, technology and innovation. Um, but if you could also um, reflect on how you first got involved, what inspired you to, to move into this field and then link it to the, the broader challenges that you've seen now that you're a, an activist in the space. Thank you. Thank you very much. So as an 18 year old gender equality activist from Istanbul, Turkey, I would say um, the 
I've always wanted to be a change maker. Of course, I always had this idea in mind, but how my journey has officially started was when my six-year-old little brother once told me that I was lucky because I could just simply get married and didn't have to worry about university or work. So that was probably the moment when I apprehended I was going to be, well, I had to be the voice of change. Um, so because that was the moment when I fully realized um, the risk of this mindset created by the society that could affect um, a little child's thought structure. So since growing up, I have always had very strong role models in my life, women who made a difference in the world, women who did not leave their purpose because people told them they couldn't do. So I would say with their goals in mind, um, I remember promising myself to take action in the morning because if not me, then who? If not now, then when? Which is actually He for She slogan. And I have sent an email to UN Women to become involved in the He for She movement. Only if I knew sending that email would completely change my life. So in a nutshell, that is how I became the youngest representative of UN Women's He for She movement. But being an activist day by day, you find more things that have to be changed. And my motto is be the change you want to see in the world by Gandhi. We need all hands on deck. And that means clearing hurdles for women and girls as they navigate their careers in science, technology, engineering, and math said the former first lady, Michelle Obama. Thinking about these wise words, um, I have noticed a disproportion in the distribution of male and female students in STEM clubs and extracurricular activities at my own school. So with the hope of changing that, I have approached to my school's robotics team. It was, a, it was such an honor um, to see their tremendous support for the cause. And we all wanted to encourage girls to be involved at the forefront um, of the STEM field. So thinking of how to, uh, the ways to um, reach our goal and reach out to young girls around Turkey, we have brought the Girls to Code movement to our country um, and became the one and only Girls to Code club. So as Girls to Code Turkey, we have um, started hosting workshops, for instance, or conferences, even career planning days where we had interviews with women leaders in Stanfield in Turkey. In fact, um, on our first virtual career planning day, which was a couple of weeks ago, we had the honor of having Dell Technology country manager as our guest. And um, of course, before the COVID, we um, used to visit public high schools uh, or public um, middle schools. And we would focus on teaching the basics of coding to young girls and to show them what science could actually look like, what a programmer could actually look like because there are so many gender-based stereotypes around that topic, but it's very much brushed under the carpet. And that's why no one really realizes it. Um, if When someone doesn't point it out, we don't really um, realize them. So um, in the, I think it's very important for us to just speak up uh, because in 1995, 37% um, of computer scientists were women. And we talk about innovation and technology and world changing, but today the percentage is only 24%. Um, um, it is unfortunately an innovatable fact that this percentage will continue to decrease if we do not act. In addition, we know that uh, from the research, the biggest loss of interest for girls in STEM is between the ages of 13 and 17. But despite this, the authorized institutions still do not take the necessary actions, even though they claim it otherwise. 
I would like to share an experience of mine that shows the institutions that seem to be supporting adults and girls in STEM and making PR material for this important purpose. So I was at a sponsorship meeting with my team for Girls to Code with a very well-known company in Turkey. And the gentleman who held the meeting with us, even though he knew that their leader was me, neither extended his hand nor asked my name nor my ideas. Throughout the meeting, uh, this company, which ignored me during the whole meeting, could not focus on the real problem because of praising the boys in our team and their intelligence of robotics and coding, et cetera. And would you believe me, whenever I share this story with a fellow feminist, a feminist friend, they always say something similar has happened to them also. Even this little example proves how global this problem is and how we need global solutions. Fantastic. So very inspiring words there, Celine. Um, I think it'd be great now to sort of open up to the panel more broadly to hear a bit about some of the strategies that you're undertaking to try and tackle some of these discriminatory gender norms that really act as such a, a powerful barrier, whether it's in the field of sexual reproductive health or STEM. Um, so Keenan, perhaps reflecting on sort of the, the refugee context in which you're working, how are you trying to engage with the wider environment, whether it's um, boys and men or families or, or communities to get um, over some of these key hurdles um, that you've talked about vis-a-vis -vis the, the digital space? I mean, uh, currently uh, we are working in, in, in solving those uh, digital aspects with different partners. And I think a key success for us in Jordan was, and, and uh, through the mechanic program, is dealing with a deep-rooted national partner, regardless of their background. So some of them, they have like, uh, they are faith-based, some of them are not, but the bottom line, they are trusted by the community they are in. And this is where the center, our center exists, it's in the most vulnerable area. And that was a key success for us. And the key success was to actually shift the ownership of the program to those uh, deep-rooted national partner and the government as well. So, I mean, the buy-in of the government, it goes without saying, it's a, it's a key success for any project on the, the long term. I mean, sustainability is a, is a very big uh, term and it's very hard now in the humanitarian cause, the context, we all know how complicated that is. But at least ownership will give you some aspect of that sustainability. And now the funding is another aspect, but also those organizations, they have their own resources. They have been in Jordan, for example, before UNI when UNICEF offered, before the Syria crisis, when UNICEF uh, office in Jordan was maybe 20 people, today we are over 100 responding to the Syria crisis. So all what I wanna say, investing on the national system, which is including the national partner and give them the ownership will help us in sustainability, but also will help us in the quality of the current response, because it's very important that those people, the frontliner who are responding on a day-to-day, -day, they feel that those programs are for them because they are serving those communities. From my experience, that was very evident in March, 2020, when the COVID came into place. And this is where it took us one week to be able to respond, not because UNICEF team only was able to do that, because we have hundreds of frontliners who are keen to support their community. And the program in that sense shifted to the remote support in one week. 
So I think this is a very key, in addition, of course, to other elements related, for example, to provide the integrated package, which tackle not only the children, for example, or the adolescents, it's focused on the whole family through the better parenting, through other type of services. And I think there's another key aspect, which is the ability to be flexible in our response. So our design for the program should be uh, flexible from the beginning. I mean, I, I, I lost count how many we changed some aspect on the program now, but because the world now is very fast, it's changing very fast. And the adolescents and in general, uh, regardless of their gender, their needs are changing very fast and they are exposed. They have an idea about what's going on everywhere. And it is our duty to be able to design our programs quickly to respond there to their needs. So of course it has to go from the bottom, bottom up approach. We have to listen to them and listen to the frontliner and be flexible as well. And actually that requires some donor flexibility if I wanna put it there. So to avoid the frameworks, uh, which goes from year to year the same, no, every year you will have a different thing. With COVID and without COVID, the world was moving fast, but now it's changing on a daily basis. Before maybe it was uh, changing on a quarterly basis. So this is from my experience, uh, the best three area where, where I can highlight over from my side, uh, Nicolette. Thanks very much, Keenan. Um, some really critical points about sort of anchoring these programs um, in community networks. I wonder, Maria, if you might reflect now, given your close engagement um, with ministerial stakeholders, what kind of steps you have been taking in terms of um, getting their buy-in, fostering their political will to invest in adolescent girls? Bueno. Eh, nosotros vinimos trabajando hace muchísimos años, ¿no? Digamos, en el, hace, en el 2005, eh, 2003, sacamos el primer Plan Nacional de Acción por la Infancia y la Adolescencia. Y en este momento estamos entrando ya al tercero, o al cuarto, porque tiene un tiempo. Eh, este año el Perú cumple 200 años de ser un Perú independiente, entonces para el Bicentenario se están cerrando todos los planes. ¿Qué características tiene este plan? El cuarto objetivo es participación, participación y con, eh, digamos, eh, ¿qué es lo bueno? Participan todos los sectores del gobierno. Quiere decir, está el Ministerio de Salud, el Ministerio de Educación, el Ministerio de Defensa, el Ministerio de Turismo, el Ministerio, el Ministerio, todos los ministerios. Y también está el Consejo Consultivo de Niños, Niñas y Adolescentes. Entonces, este Consejo Consultivo tiene representatividad en 500 provincias de todo el país y está conformado por chicos de 12 a 18 años, ¿no? Que, para, que participan en las reuniones y paralelamente van, van este, viendo. Por ejemplo, hoy día, hoy día UNICEF en Perú hace una presentación de los presupuestos, porque nosotros tenemos una, una, una ley, digamos, una cosa en la que creemos mucho. Sin presupuestos no hay derechos. If you don't have budget, you don't have rights. 
Eso es muy claro para nosotros. Entonces, este plan eh, tiene varias áreas y son eh, no solamente, este, digamos, género, eh, igualdad de género es, atraviesa todo el plan, ¿no? Ahora, como en todas partes, hay regiones, porque mi país tiene 25 regiones, regiones que están más avanzadas que otras, definitivamente en el tema, ¿no? Por ejemplo, hay regiones que han puesto eh, la paridad, hemos conseguido la paridad. ¿Qué significa la paridad? Que si un hombre y una mujer se presentan a un cargo, a un cargo directivo, si tienen las mismas condiciones, se le da preferencia a la mujer hasta lograr la igualdad, hasta que sean pares. Y eso lo hemos, con, eh, lo hemos este, conseguido en el Congreso, lo hemos conseguido en los gobiernos, lo hemos conseguido en un montón de sitios, pero no siempre se hace en realidad. ¿Ok? Entonces, la participa y siempre van en, eh, en este consejo consultivo, eh, ellos son los que ponen los temas, ¿no? Y un tema que han puesto, pero con mucha fuerza, es cambio climático, ¿no? Es un tema que han puesto con mucha fuerza, es cambio climático, que no es un tema de los mayores, es un tema que interesa más a los jóvenes, ¿no? Eh, ¿Qué cosa se ha logrado? Se ha logrado, por ejemplo, que se aumente el presupuesto para la atención de, eh, a, digamos, adolescentes. Hay un poco más de presupuesto. ¿Qué se ha logrado? Que salga una norma que permita que las adolescentes mujeres puedan ir a los servicios de planificación familiar sin papás. Antes no era posible eso. Ahora pueden ir ellas solas, ¿no? Se ha logrado que se incorporen dentro de los indicadores, indicadores de, eh, dirigidos a adolescentes mujeres, a niñas, a niñas, ¿no? Indicadores que nos midan, quiere decir, si ha logrado esta diferencia. Y comparto, y un tema importantísimo es el tema de la conectividad, del internet, ¿no? La, el año pasado acabamos de lograr que... Eh, haya una tarifa plana que no cueste internet en ciertos sectores más pobres, que eso es importante y se ha puesto internet libre en, todos los, en todas las plazas en las plazas principales de todo, de todo el país ¿no? yo creo que eso es, es sumamente importante para la igualdad ya UNICEF en uno, de sus, en uno de sus estados mundiales, hace como dos, tres años, habló de esta otra desigualdad, que era la desigualdad digital, que es importantísima, pues no, quien no, no está conectado en estos momentos en que toda la educación se está dando por, por, este, por internet o por televisión, si uno no está conectado se sigue quedando atrás, ¿no? Y otro tema es que nosotros sí, este, bueno, hay una década olvidada, que yo creo que es en la que más tenemos que, que trabajar, desde el punto de vista de salud. De 0 a 5 años es materno-infantil, no hay problema. De 5 a 14 años es la década de Missing One, ¿no? 
bajo OPS le dice The Missing One, The Missing Decade. Hay como una década que no es, digamos, se hace cosas, pero no tan dirigidas a esa década. Y yo creo que esa década es importantísima. Es una cosa que no, no, no la podemos dejar, dejar de lado. ¿Qué otras experiencias? Bueno, ha habido planes para adolescentes en conflicto con la ley. Ha habido planes para prevención del embarazo en adolescente. ¿no? Y en todos esos planes siempre ha habido presencia de adolescentes. Siempre, siempre se ha tomado en cuenta. Pero como repito... Eh, tenemos que lograr todo, pues, ¿no? <ríe> Por un lado, la parte política, que esté de acuerdo. Por otro lado, el ministerio, que tenga la normativa y que tenga eh, los anticonceptivos, que es uno de los temas principales, o que tenga las vacunas, o que tenga esto. Y por otro lado, la familia que apoye y el adolescente y la adolescente empoderada, ¿no? Es, es un tema así. No, no solo es un tema de una sola persona, ¿no? Digamos, hay, hay, yo, yo creo que el, el enfoque tiene que ser holístico, curso de vida e integrado, ¿no? Toda, todas las, las áreas, las áreas este, juntas, ¿no? ¿Qué otras experiencias tenemos? La mesa de lucha contra la pobreza, que es otra que lo hablaríamos después. Ok. Great. Thank you so much, Marie. I think some really critical points there about ensuring that adolescents' voices are represented even in planning processes, but then also the accountability that needs mm -hmm. to be there, um, which is a critical point. I think it, it brings me back to um, the work that you're doing, Celine. I know that one of the things that you've been um, focusing on is how to ensure that the school environment is more accountable to the, the voices and ambitions of adolescent girls. And so in that process, how are you managing to bring on board teachers and adolescent boys in that journey? Um, and reflecting back to some of the um, reflections you made about your own personal journey there. So I think um, one thing we forget very often is that um, technology is and can be a powerful tool for advancing gender equality, and it has the potential to empower adults and girls, both economically and socially. So first of all, technology provides vital access to information, to services, to social connection, to life-changing opportunities, such as circling back education and employment. But um, and most of the jobs of 21st century, um, if you want to be in the business uh, world, you have to have um, ICT skills. And how can we um, provide girls with digital and ICT skills? We can do that through prioritizing education. But as you said, there are so many stereotypes, even within the school education system, for, for instance, um, in the, um, in our own personal lives, for example. Uh, one thing that was um, that is very much close to my heart actually with, um, is working with um, high school boys, for example, my peers. Uh, we uh, tackled a very big obstacle. Uh, unfortunately, there are so many uh, societal stereotypes about what a feminist looks like, for instance. 
Um, speaking from my observations and experiences throughout the years, I have realized how open the word feminism is to misunderstandings, especially about feminine um, over masculine because it has a feminine um, in the word in it, but it's very superficial. For example, um, my teachers, my um, friends uh, from school, I have met so many uh, of my male teachers um, who were claiming that there was no way on earth that they were feminists, followed by the sentence, because they were against the idea of women being superior. They were supporting the idea of equality for all. Pretty ironic, isn't it, since um, their response is literally the definition of feminism. Um, and from a high school uh, high schoolers perspective, um, I feel like one of the reasons why uh, boys feel like they cannot be feminist is because there is a wrong belief in Turkey, like um, by calling yourself a feminist, you're giving up on your masculine side and look more fragile. Um, and I think that, especially in Turkey, in my region, um, because of the word feminism and gender equality being treated as a taboo, uh, there is a blame attached to it. So it makes things even harder for, um, especially circling back teenage boys, to openly call themselves feminists because no one likes to be judged. Um, and all of us want to fit into a box while um, fit into the society, you know. Um, so I will say our only option is our best option is educating people about um, why gender equality benefits us all. Um, gender inequality is rampant everywhere. For example, um, we still think that only women can be feminists. Men are still be being criticized for being too emotional. Um, in Turkey, victim blaming and violence against women and femicides is still a massive problem. Millions of girls' education um, are being disrupted because they cannot go to school due to their gender. Um, men are still thought to be the breadwinners in the family in Turkey, which is a huge burden, of course, a psychological burden. Um, so there are so many uh, obstacles um, and so many challenges we're facing, and all of them are very much interconnected. And um, the reason uh, is just taboos and uh, because gender equality is being politicized in Turkey, unfortunately. So um, as I said, even in my school, my teachers, um, they don't have much information about um, what's going on and it is um, so normalized in Turkey. So this is something we should be um, focusing on, I would say, and this is what we are trying to do Within Girls to Code Turkey as well, we have so many members, both boys and girls, um, because gender equality benefits us all. That's just that um, simple, actually. Thanks so much, Celine, for those reflections. I've just been watching some of the questions that are coming in from the audience. And one of the key themes that that's sort of being woven in amongst those questions is in the context of the lockdowns and the remote service delivery during the pandemic, um, there are concerns that the most disadvantaged um, adolescents and, and adolescent girls in particular may not be being reached, including through some of these digital solutions um, that we've been discussing. So I wonder if the panelists could reflect on what approaches you've been taking and what more needs to be done to really ensure that 
um, in these kinds of crisis contexts that uh, the most disadvantaged young people are able to be included um, in, in services um, and in accessing their full rights. Who would like to start off? I mean, it's uh, not an easy question uh, if I can start. So basically, violence is, uh, I'm seeing the question, and actually, there are great questions, and some of them need uh, a 30 minute discussion each. The violence is on an increase for women in general, whether they are adolescents or youth or even uh, married women. And that's evident, and we see it every day. And the more the lockdown increase or the it's tight, you see it more, and that's for obvious reasons as well. I mean, there's no easy answer to that, but I can tell you at least from what we are doing in Jordan. So at least for those who are under our radar, and they used to be our, uh, under our radar before the pandemic started, we made sure to, first thing we did, all of our frontliner, we train them how to provide remote support, how to respond to such uh, violence cases from day one. And then we made sure to stay in touch with those, with, with, with the, whether adolescents or women, with all of them, making sure that at least they are listened to. So through phone calls, through WhatsApp, through, but that's, we are here talking about the program which already have a beneficiary. Now, if you don't have the beneficiary, that's really hard. And this is where you need the government involvement. And, and here it will be harder. But if you have a program and you have already a beneficiary, you just make sure to stay in touch with them and make sure that you are reaching out to them, not waiting for them to reach out to you. And this is where we'll be hands-on. But that's, that, that's okay on a, on a small scale. So on a larger scale, it will be much more complicated when, uh, when we talk about big countries or, or on a national level. So uh, that's what I think uh, from my side, over. Thank you, Keenan. And so Maria, in the context of the Andes, where you have very remote um, communities for geographical reasons, what kinds of strategies is your organization employing to try and reach those girls in the current uh, context? Una cosa importante es lo que dijimos al comienzo, no puedes tratar igual a los que están en diferentes contextos, ¿no? Entonces, primero, eh, no nos olvidemos de la radio. La radio está más cerca de la gente en mi país. La radio llega absolutamente hasta donde no llega nadie. Si tú vas a las partes de amazónicas andinas, todos los chicos tienen colgada su radio, para poder estar en contacto. Así que se utiliza mucho el tema de radios locales para dar consejos, para hablar, para compartir. Después tenemos en, en, en todo el país hay los encargados de adolescencia en todo el país, ¿no? Son los puntos focales. Entonces, la indicación que se dio fue que los puntos focales trataran de comunicarse con la gente, porque esa fue la indicación, ¿no? Trataran de... Porque, digamos, el alcance de Internet en, en Perú es más o menos 60%. No me acuerdo en este momento mucho, pero eh, la mayoría tiene celular, ¿no? En, hasta en los sitios más lejanos hay celulares, ¿no? Entonces, este, 
eh, si ha, si ha este, que no es por la pandemia, desde antes hay, eh, digamos, seguimiento por WhatsApp, seguimiento por SMS eh, y, y, y tratar de, de, de coordinar, ¿no? Pero acá viene otra, otro asunto, ¿no? Digamos, este, no vamos a negar que esta, esta lockout, esta cuarentena, este aislamiento sí va in, ha influido negativamente. Esa es una realidad. Los estudios son claros, ¿no? De que hay más índices de ansiedad, de depresión, de estrés. Eh, son claros. Lo, lo que tenemos que hacer es revertirlos, ¿no? Que no se vuelvan constantes, que no se queden para siempre. Que la gente sepa que hay formas de comunicarse. Se ha instalado todo lo que es la teleconsulta, ¿no? Eh, digamos, la telemedicina, la teleorientación, ¿no? Justo antier hemos tenido un webinar de telesalud y los avances en los países andinos, ¿no? Y hay, hay muchos puntos, pero definitivamente hay otras formas, ¿no? Y, y esta es, un, este es una, una anécdota, ¿no? Hay este, cartas en los ríos, en el Amazonas, ¿no? Digamos, cartas que se van recibiendo y se van contestando a través de una radio, porque ellos son los que están más lejos, ¿no? Eh, pero yo creo que lo más, lo, lo más importante es que sepan que pueden conversar con alguien. Entonces, se han abierto, si ustedes buscan en, en la página web de una organización, están todos los, los, este, los números abiertos de los seis países, ¿no? Para cualquier cosa, más que todo para problemas de, de salud mental, porque un área que se ha dado mucho es salud mental. Ahora, el tema, el tema grande es este, la, eh, la disposición de anticonceptivos, porque en los países se cerró el primer nivel, ¿no? El, los servicios de primer nivel se cerraron al comienzo, ahora ya están abiertos. Entonces, ahí yo creo que ha habido, ha habido, este, ha, ha habido delay, ha, ha habido demoras ¿no? en la entrega. Nos daremos cuenta en estos meses, ¿no? Cuando justo, justo en esta semana, la próxima semana, salen los indicadores de, de partos, ¿no? Que nos daremos cuenta si ha aumentado, porque ya el embarazo adolescente había comenzado a disminuir. Vamos a ver si por este, por esta lockdown ha aumentado. Pero hay muchas formas ¿eh? creativas, hay muchas formas, creo yo. Thank you very much, Maria, for those important reflections about the need for a, a hybrid approach to reaching the most disadvantaged. Um, uh, Alette, you have been eagerly awaited. Um, so I think someone's really wondering why we haven't turned to you. Um, Alette um, is going to provide a, a wrap up for our conversation. I know that we would all love to have a lot more time. There's some fantastic questions that have been coming through. Um, but uh, I would very much like to give Alette the floor to reflect on what um, some of the, the key uh, lessons are that are emerging from the discussion today and what all of this means for the broader gender equality process that UN Women is spearheading um, as we move into the um, uh, 
processes in Mexico and France. Um, and particularly, um, we'd love to get your thoughts, Alette, on how uh, adolescent girls' voices and agency can be made more visible within those processes. So over to you, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Nicola, for giving me the floor. And uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to the organizer, especially UNICEF, for inviting UN Women in this timely uh, webinar. I must confess that the previous speaker have really uh, facilitated my task as they have almost uh, presented very interesting country experience and the best practices and even uh, challenges that are really being used, uh, be useful for the next CSW, but also the launching of the Gender Equality Forum uh, at the end of this month. Um, the, the webinar of today is really to discuss about uh, ways and strategies and approaches to put uh, the girls at the center of um, uh, the center of development. And I um, was so happy to hear about all these great uh, experiences and opportunities that have been going on in countries, especially in Turkey, uh, in Jordan, and uh, the um, examples given by, by Maria. And I want now to present another opportunity, a very strategic and high level opportunity, which is the Gender Equality uh, uh, Forum, which is, as I say, a strategic opportunity to raise girls' voice and issues. We heard a lot of issues that uh, Celine has, has, has just presented in terms of leadership, in terms of capacities, in terms of access to, to technology, and in terms of how to translate uh, really how to translate into action the dreams, the aspiration, the needs of young girls and adolescents. So I'm going to structure my presentation into three key uh, um, questions. The first one is what is uh, the Gender Forum Equality? Uh, maybe some participants have heard about it, maybe not. So I think it's important to give a small presentation of what is the Gender Forum Equality and the Action Coalition. Uh, in the second part, I'm going to explain what the Action Coalition are about. And at the end, I'm going to finish with how we can ensure a meaningful participation of girls to be sure that we advance their rights and we have a transformative uh, change in the society. So what is the Gender Forum Equality about? The Gender Forum Equality about is, as I said, a unique opportunity to really put gender on the table of a discussion, negotiation, uh, on the table of the uh, decision makers. Because as you remember, we are celebrating uh, the 25 years uh, after Beijing platform. And uh, we all agree, government, development partners, uh, civil society organization, women's rights defenders, minority groups, uh, uh, women's living with handicap, everybody, we agree that yes, uh, there's a lot have been done, a lot has been done in terms of progress. Uh, we can see a significant progress on women's representation and leadership, on women economic empowerment, access to science, and technology, but those progress are really slow and uh, 
the, the previous speaker have highlighted a lot of challenges, especially in the area around access to, to technology. And those gender gaps are still too many. So we cannot wait. Youth people and girls are saying that they cannot wait two more decades to see change really happening. So what could we do? Uh, and the youth are saying that it's really time to do things differently. We have taken two decades to see change in terms of legal framework, in terms of uh, access to health and uh, other uh, important uh, gains that we have, but the change are too slow. So what should we do? And the, the, general, uh, the Gender Equality Forum, it's really, as Maria said, a very big opportunity to listen to, um, to youth, to listen to girls. And when we have listened to Celine, you can see the level of uh, passion, the level of enthusiasm, the level of innovation, innovative idea that we really need at the level of uh, uh, genders and the women's rights uh, uh, defender to see how really we can fast track uh, the change and the progress related to uh, gender equality. So the Gender Equality Forum, as I said, is really to accelerate fast-track social change and achieve progress toward SDG 5 through the mobilization of government, private sector, CSOs, women's rights, defenders, social influence, and particularly youth. And uh, in the principle of leaving no one behind, to listen also to minority communities, refugees, internal displaced uh, persons, and we heard Kenan talking about a lot about that. Uh, the Gender uh, Equality Forum is structured around six action coalition, uh, which are interrelated, interconnected to really focus and emphasis on the fact that gender issues are all uh, interconnected. So they cannot tackle one issue and avoiding another one because all of them, if you are talking of access to internet, it's not only giving, uh, I don't know, phone or tablets, but it's also in a broader macroeconomic system. You have to think of how you can tackle other issues related to, to, to poverty, to economic, and so on. So the six coalition areas are gender-based violence. We have talked of that. Uh, we have seen a lot of uh, a big increment of cases of violence, especially during the, the COVID uh, pandemic. So we need, uh, to, to change, we need to see how we can see really change. Uh, we have a lot of conventions about the women's rights, anti-violence against women, but what is the problem? Why all these rights, why all these strategies and policies are not really translated into action? Uh, Maria gave us some interesting um, example about one approach that they have been using, uh, uh, budget, uh, 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 gender budgeting, which is quite, a very key and important approach because the most important gap in gender equality issues is related to funding, to resource mobilization, and to budget. Uh, the second uh, action coalition is talking of economic justice and rights. Uh, the third one is about a sexual and reproductive health. Uh, the fifth one is about technology and innovation for gender equality. We heard a lot about uh, uh, Celine and Kenan talking of access, the challenges, you know, for girls to access to technology. And if something is not done now, uh, 
the impact will be very huge and the gap is going to continue and continue and continue. And we can find ourselves 20 years after talking again of this gap of uh, technology and innovation. And the last one is about feminist movement and leadership. And this one is very important for the youth because we are talking here of the intergenerational conversation and dialogue that we need to put in place to be sure that we are taking into account the aspiration of, uh, of the youth. So those action coalition uh, will mainly strengthen wants um, to really prioritize advocacy to increase public and private uh, advancement. And as I said, the example given by Maria about gender budgeting is really important and should be presented you know, during the CSW and the Mexico uh, uh, launching of gender equality forum to, to demonstrate that it is possible. It is really possible to invest on gender equality and fast track this social change. How, gender equality, how the gender equality forum will ensure to support adolescents and girls? Um, there are a lot of mechanisms, and among the mechanisms, there's a youth tax force, uh, which is led by youth and the girls' uh, organization. They have been organizing a lot of consultation uh, since last year, and they have been able to develop a strategic plan in collaboration with the Beijing Plus 25 Youth Tax Force. And the, the pillar of um, their strategy is really connected to what I have heard during this uh, webinar. They are talking of, they have uh, proposed activities, intervention around capacity building, focusing on leadership and communication training to ensure that girls and young people understand the process and the opportunity to participate and influence because you can participate, but the most important is really to influence the table of the decision uh, makers. The second- Sorry, I'm, yes, sorry. I'm, sorry, I'm being signaled that we're out of time, but I think the, the role of um, adolescent girls being able to influence um, decision makers at the decision making table is a really powerful point to end on. You've done a fantastic job of pulling together all the different strands of a very complex conversation. So thank you so much for that. Um, I think we will be able to share people's um, email addresses and related um, contact points. So if people would like to follow up more, I think we're just starting the conversation. That would be great. So um, at this point, um, I'd like to thank the panel so much for your very valuable insights for all the time and, and thought that you've given today. And I think the conversation has really highlighted the importance of supporting adolescent girls empowerment, voice and leadership across a range of contexts from health to STEM to, to mental health and well-being and education. Um, but also really highlighted that we need to have tailored and um, solutions, not just a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, so thank you so much to everybody. Thank you too for the everyone in the audience who's been so patient, um, stayed online and shared some fantastic questions. We'll be in touch with that. And please do tune in for the third event coming up in the series in April, focusing on women's political and legal voice and agency. 
So uh, thank you all so much and hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks and good luck for CSW next week. Thank you for listening. For more ODI live event podcasts, find us on SoundCloud or subscribe to the Overseas Development Institute podcasts via iTunes.